You're very welcome to the Hurling Podcast. My guest this week is former Westport Hurling Club chairperson Tony Keegan. Tony, before we talk about your own involvement with the Westport Hurling section, tell us a little bit of background on the Keegan family. It's not a name associated with Westport. I come originally from South Armagh. Katie was her local parish and uh, we had the De La Salle brothers there. That's the school we went to, Crossmoor Monastery it was called. Sounds good, but it was just an ordinary school. And I'd say we got our love of hurling. Now, football was strong there, but we got our love of hurling from the brothers there, who uh, a lot of them came from Cork, Tipperary, Kilkenny, and I think they installed that in us. Uh, so it was a, a club in Katie, which were called the Katie Dwyers, and they had both a hurling and a football club. So we got the best of both worlds with regards Gaelic. Myself then, of course, uh, played with the club at underage uh, for a couple of years, uh, Katie Dwyers, uh, but eventually uh, I had been working with a blacksmith serving my time, and of course then I moved off to England. Before that, just to put you in the picture, Keegan was a name that was around Monaghan and South Armagh. There was one or two families, not many, and we farmed. We came off the farm. But uh, went to England anyway, Pierce, and um, it was in England I was working with. That's where I met Mary and my wife, who was from Westport. Eventually, when the kids started coming along, we always said we'd like to go home and rear the family in Ireland. What was Katie like in those years? Because it was around the start of the Troubles as well. Katie, at that time, uh, I'm talking about the early 60s till the middle 60s, was fairly okay. There was a bit of, there was a, a little bit of un, underlying uh, problems, surely, but not to the same extent as when it went into the 70s. So in a way, we, we were out of it when it really got bad. Was there much hurling in, in Irma when you were growing up? Um, not a lot. Uh, there were some local clubs there. There was Middletown, Derry Noose. Uh, but it seemed to me that it was a spread out from Cady and around. That's where, that where it was installed. Arma also, funny enough, I think Arma Harps was the club. They had a hurling club. So, But it would have been on the same level as I got to know it was in Westport, if you like. It's on the same level, roughly. Uh, very enjoyable and that, but uh, it was not as strong, of course, as the football. Did you play underage then, obviously, with the club? Did you get a few trials or run-outs with the county as well? Not with the Hurland, no. But funny enough, I got a trial in the football. Yeah, but I was only 15 or so at the time, and uh, that was all. We just played a bit and enjoyed it more than anything else. And then, of course, I was gone. Yeah. Who instilled that love in you, that grow for hurling and football? Uh, I think that came from my mother's side, uh, the Garmans. That was their name. Uh, they had a great um, love for Gaelic football and hurling, but but perhaps a bit more on the Gaelic football side because I'm talking about a generation or two before me. And uh, they were very loyal to our man. They're going to all the games. So I went with them to a few games. And it was from them lads, my uncles especially, that I would would have got the love of the game, you know. Like so many, you ended up in the UK. Mm. Did you get involved in the GAA over there, or was there a Gaelic scene at that time? There was a Gaelic scene, all right. I went to a few games and that, but because of the work I was involved in, 
I wasn't too many, I wasn't too long in one place. Like we moved around a bit as young single men. But whenever we sort of settled down around Gloucester, we got more involved in the club there. And they had a, they had a, a, a you know, a good, a good team of fellas from all over. How many years were you in the UK before you came back to Ireland? Uh, roughly about 17. We moved back here uh, to Westport at the end of the 70s. I was only here maybe a year or two and I got to know a few of the, the local men. Again, there was men in there like myself from different parts of Ireland. And uh, I think uh, Stephen Broderick and, and a few more like Stephen, Charlie Keating and all, and that. And uh, up the idea came up about maybe we could do something for these young fellas. And of course, I had a couple of the lads coming through at that age then, 10 or 12, and uh, so, anyway, it was decided to form the club. And I don't know how I got into that position, for I didn't know much about running things. But anyway, I, I took it on and decided I'd give it a shot anyway, which I did. And we had the, the best of crack. What a brave move, though. Young men in Westport at the time saying, we'll do something about it ourselves. Yeah, I thought it was good. And I think there was a um, there was room for it because there was a great bunch of young fellas uh, about at the time. They were mad for sport. And I think, uh, you know, a few of the older boys they, that maybe were involved in the club, maybe in the 70s or 60s, um, had attempted, I think, to keep it going. In fact, we met a man at the time called Arthur McAvoy. I don't know if any of the lads mentioned to you. He was down at the quay and he actually hurled in the 30s. And we met him and he was uh, a lovely man to talk to. And, of course, encouraging us to get going again. You know, hurling was maybe been played around i think in in the key area from what he told us so uh yeah it was decided then it'd be a good time to have a go at it and that's what we done you got it up and going in 82 and mm. got the underage structures uh, in place and success came then pretty much straight away success surely in in the sense that the club was doing all right but there was some heavy wallopings because i mean obviously we're only starting off and we're up against the lake of uh, Turin maybe Ballyhonis and that, who probably had a little bit of an advantage, you know. And we done well. We're up there at the same level as them within a couple of years. We had the best of crack going, visiting, playing away. I remember the, that time we had our vehicles lined up, young fellas jumped in the bike, and off you went. And changing room didn't matter whether they were there or not. And that's, like, that's not that long ago. Back of the hedge done all right, if necessary. There was one incident, I remember, where we were down at Allergan, and uh, the grass was desperate along. Uh, this is about two days beforehand we had luck. And we were there before the game and about 20 lawnmowers. Every man brought his own lawnmower in. And the boys from Turin or whatever were there looking at this and what the, what's going on here. And we were cut away at the grass anyway and got it ready for the game. So um, then sort of memories we have and we're down good memories. Yeah. You were the first chairperson and a lot of people say that it was Tony O'Keefe that... Uh, roped everybody in to a meeting and then gave them all jobs. Uh, you, you probably went not expecting to become chairman. Oh, sure. I, I, geez, I didn't know anything about it at all. But fair news to O'Keefe and, and Stephen Broderick and Stephen Geller and a couple more lads. And they were great support. I think it was more of a friendship thing than anything else. And young lads there, I, you know, I think we had a good time, a good, enjoyed it. But like when it came to making sure these boys were on the field, uh, no, there was no stone left untorn. Done everything we could to help them out and and you know to promote the game. What are your earliest memories of 
I suppose, those coaching sessions and who was involved and how you kept it going in the early years then from 82 to probably 92 in a lot of ways? The club got bigger. Now, I'd say there was great encouragement also from the lads that had been involved in the club, especially on the football side. Um, you know, the like of Chris Grady and um, Party Cunningham, remember, uh, Tommy O'Malley, you know, all them lads. In fairness, they'd done all the cut as well to help us push on. Andy Doyle was there, of course. And, um, so I think there was a great enthusiasm amongst everyone to see the Hurling do well. didn't matter whether they're Gaelic footballers or not. You know, they the wanted to see the Hurling do well. That was my impression anyway. You must be very proud that 40 years later, it's still going. Uh, sure, it's great to see. You know, we're obviously I'm not involved for some time. Um, in fact, unfortunately, after a number of years, my work at the time I was going away to work in Galway, and I didn't have the same amount of time. But in fairness, there was lads stood up, you know, there, and, and they really helped to p- push it on. You know, yeah. great characters and great memories. You told me about a few of the great stories. Uh, selling tickets uh, around the county as well, fundraising for the club. I remember at the time. I was working up around Kong, going out to the sawmills and a few places like that, and we, I think we were trying to raise a few bob for to do up the pitch, and there was fellas there now, and I don't, they couldn't escape because the game I was in, the building game, <laughs> I had them plagued anyway, and uh, one guy I remember, I think he was a Clare man, he said, Tony, I don't know, I'm not worth me while buying a ticket, and he says, why, what, why wouldn't you? Well, he said, I can't win nothing, but he said, I'll get here, here's a few... Anyway, he got top prize. He says the first time ever, he's I'm so delighted. He says you called to me. I just actually got the he got the prize, you know. But yeah, I think I think um, it was it was good years in in Westport GA at the time, both on the uh, hurling side and I suppose on the on the on the Gaelic side. There were no helmets back then, and no shin guards, and no. it was tough physical ground hurling, whip, pull, cut, as Charlie Keaton said. <laughs> <laughs> there was a bit of that went on all right indeed um, I suppose to a large extent but you know what uh, young fellas don't belong learning the re- the artistry and they, they were good at it in general so uh, they were well fit to take it I remember one I remember one time one lad got a, a fierce wallop and the next thing the tooth flew out and he was going around looking for it and one of the mentors I won't say the name what are you doing uh, I want to find Never mind that. Watch the ball. You will look for that when the game is over. <laughs> tough, tough characters. Yeah. Tony, for somebody that, you know, passed on that grow and that love of hurling and football to your own family, what does it mean to you, the GAA? Because even to this day, you love to sit down to watch a hurling game or a football game. I, I think it has changed quite a bit in the latter years, you know, and I have to be truthful and say that. The Gaelic Association to me meant... I suppose I could tie it in with old Ireland. That's where I'd see it, where people way back a hundred or what a hundred and forty, fifty years ago, uh, were had nothing for their young men and, and 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 women to do, and that they stood up there the time it was formed. And I think that was carried on right through. And you know, it's good to see the sport involved. If you get young people involved in sport. I think it's fantastic to see them out there doing so well at it. I, I think it's good that, it, looking at Westport, it's going from centre to centre all the time, which is great to see. We have to talk a little bit about your own family because Brendan is still regarded as one of the finest hurlers ever to play for Westport. Um, Matty, of course, went on and played for the county as well. AJ played uh, with club and county as well. 
your own family were very, very talented when it came to both hurling and football. They done well. Uh, yeah, you know, they, they liked it and enjoyed it at the time. There's no doubt about that. And I suppose that a natural flair for it. And uh, even to this day, you know, I think if you're talking about sport, any of our ones, they, they, they will put that at the top, at the top of the pile. Mm. They certainly loved their hurling as well, which was great to see. And we have to say a word about another uh, GA stalwart, uh, Lee Keegan, of course, Lee is your nephew. Oh, Lee, yeah, Lee has done well, of course, good man, Lee, and, and in fact, uh, and his brother, uh, Philip, he, he, he's, uh, he has played with the club, of course, as well, the two of them. In fact, Lee, uh, I think he was playing rugby, not that it matters at the time, but my own county at the time, Armagh, got as far as All-Ireland, and his dad, Philip, who would be my youngest brother, we brought Lee to the to the football, to Crow Park, and that was his first outing, and I think he got to a taste of it from what he's seen then, with a bit of encouragement from us as well. You're taking a bit of the credit for his success. I, well, I think it was there in him anyway. Final few questions, Tony. How important is it now, as we celebrate 40 years since the club was reformed in 1982, and you were at the helm at that stage, how important is it that Harleen would be protected and promoted in the town going forward? I would say it's very, very important. You know, you have a good bunch of people that have carried on right through. In fact, there's guys there now today that are there for the last you know, 40 years. Fair, fair to some them and through everything thick and thin. One word on music and hurling because everybody knows that the Keegan name is associated with both. You also brought that passion and grow for the music because South Armagh at the time was renowned for its traditional singers. Always that was the way, especially in my my mother's people, you know, there was a great side to it. My father was more more farming end of it and, and in that level, you know, not not to the same he he liked uh, he liked a bit of music, he played the fiddle in fact. The like of I remember Tommy Makem now in our town who who um, who uh, went on to do very well for himself uh, from a very young age. His talent shone out. No and, and composed a lot of songs. In fact, his mother and his aunt, Aunt Jane Green, his aunt was called Jane Green, and she was she got a load of songs. So tradition was strong around that he always was, and still is, in fact. And uh, on, on one of the songs that he uh, composed, I remember well, he told me how it happened, telling me that he was on holidays in back from America and uh, had been over in County Louth, and on the way back, anyway, to uh, Katie, he was crossed over the border, and just when he crossed over, he said he had to stop the car for a cow came out onto the road. And then another one came out, I think four came out, and then there was a woman driving them. And, and he got the song started going through his head, Four Green Fields. He composed the song from from that incident that happened. And I think it typified how we see Ireland and what, how the great fire that's in the belly of people that want to make sure Ireland is iron and stays that way. Well Tony what a beautiful way to finish our conversation and thank you so much for all you did for the Westport Hurling Club down through the years and getting it back on its feet in 1982 Uh, we'll finish with that song The Four Green Fields and we'll follow it then Tony by a piece of music from your own family I think it's Brendan and Joanne yeah, Brendan and Joanne uh, still to, like, play a bit of thread and uh, we do encourage them on that and we would like them to maybe finish off with uh, something together put it together themselves and hopefully uh, um, that uh, it'll be enjoyed One day 
tried to take that from me. I had fine, strong sons. They fought to save my jewels. They fought.